Jeanette years ago come and speak at a retreat, and we just felt such a kindred spirit with her. <laughs> just loved her. Some of you, were any of you at that retreat years ago? She brought her daughter, Jamie, with her. Yes, there's, there's many of you. So um, God just worked in a powerful way. We loved Jeanette. And more recent, we were at um, a pastor's wife's conference, and um, I had our staff wives there, and Jeanette did one of the sessions, and literally all the girls come up to me right afterwards, they're like, we have to get her again, and so I reached out to Jeanette, and um, she said yes, and so, so grateful for that, you are in, get ready, because you're going to get the word, and I believe God is going to mightily use Jeanette tonight, so will you welcome Jeanette Wells? Well, I hope that the Lord works through me. (laughs) That was a powerful introduction. Thank you, Denise. It's a joy to be here, and um, I really hope that we can all stay awake, not because I have anything great to say, but because the Lord wants to say something through his word to each and every one of us. And I know that if we would grab hold even of just this one chapter our lives would be completely transformed. Not only our lives, but the church in general would just be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I I pray that um, the Holy Spirit just grabs our hearts and shakes us and wakes us up and gets us on our way that we can forever serve him and love him and just bow our hearts before him. But um, I just want to say, forgive me because I speak very quickly. And I know those of you who have heard me before, you're probably used to it. And those of you that aren't, you're going to get really frazzled because I try to slow down even when I know that I'm speaking too quickly, um, but then I just speed up again. So I'm sorry for that. So that's it. (laughs) But um, let's bow our hearts so we can go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, so thankful that this day is finally here this weekend, Lord, that we're able to just sit at your feet, to tear this chapter apart, Lord, to see everything that you have done for us, and this is our response to you, Lord, that we would offer, freely offer ourselves as living sacrifices before you. Lord, I pray that we would surrender our hearts and our wills to you. Lord, if we haven't done it yet, may we do so before this evening is over. Father, that you can glorify yourself through each and every woman that is in this place. We ask you, Father, to go before us now, and Holy Spirit, teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, the book of Romans is absolutely amazing, as you ladies know that, if you are students of the word. It was the book of Romans that transformed Martin Luther and John Wesley's lives. The one scripture above all others brought Luther out of mere religion and into a joy of salvation by grace and by grace alone. Romans 1.17 was the one that riveted his soul that said, The just shall live by faith. We don't have to conjure anything up. We don't have to work anything up. God has done all the work for us. We just need to respond to his love, believe it in faith, and start our journey on with the Lord. And Martin Luther realized that, and it gripped his heart and changed him forever. And the same with Wesley as well. Warren Wearsby says, The Protestant Reformation and the Wesleyan Revival were both the fruit of the wonderful letter written by Paul from Corinth in about the year A.D. 56. 
Imagine you and I can read and study the same inspired letter that brought life and power to Luther and Wesley. And the same Holy Spirit who taught them can also teach us. And the same, excuse me, you and I can experience revival in our hearts, in our homes, and in our churches if the message of this letter grips us as it has gripped men of centuries in the past. The question for us tonight, though, is are we willing to be gripped by the truth of the Holy Scriptures? Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to live lives that were transformed by the Lord, that we're able to give him glory and honor, that we can live on fire for the Lord? So on fire, in fact, that people that come around us start to sweat because they're in the presence of the Lord. Now, I know some of you start to sweat when you're around me because I'm hot flashing all the time. But just to have the Holy Spirit just so igniting our souls on fire for the Lord that it becomes contagious. See, that's how we're supposed to be as a body of believers anyway. We're supposed to spur one another on, right? Encourage one another, strengthen one another, be there for one another. So this love of Jesus Christ can just transform all of our lives. We can't keep it secret because he's done so much for us. Do we really recognize what the death of the Lord Jesus Christ means for us personally. Max Lucado says, what a God we have. Ponder the achievement of God. He doesn't condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standards. He doesn't ignore our rebellion, nor does he relax his demands. Rather than dismiss our sin, he assumes our sin and incredibly sentences himself. God's holiness is honored, Our sin is punished, and we are redeemed. God does what we cannot do, so we can be what we dare not ever dream. We can be perfect before God because of the work that Jesus Christ has done for us. The book of Romans, as I've already said, is amazing. We were all dead, all of us. Everybody in this room, I don't care how great we thought we were or how cute we think we are, we were all dead. We were walking corpses. Before the Lord Jesus Christ gave us life, his life, he breathed life into us. The whole world was brought under judgment um, of God. We were not able to help ourselves. It was only a work that the Lord Jesus could do for us. And um, I wanted to do a recap on the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And the other night when I was talking to my husband about it, I had 33 pages of notes. I said, okay... This is the first teaching. We're all tired, and this is not going to (laughs) work. So bear with me, because I want us to really understand what God's grace means for each one of us. Sometimes we can throw out the, the words, you know, a little catchphrases, but they don't settle deep into our hearts. And the Holy Spirit wants us to understand how loved we are, how freely that Jesus gave himself for us, Nothing that we did. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Like that wonderful song says, he did it all. And I want us to understand, and the book of Romans is one book that you can sit and read over and over again, and I don't think we will still ever understand everything that God has done for us. But anyway, we were all dead. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26, and the New Living Translation says this, God has shown us a way to be made right with him, Without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing faith 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are all righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made alive with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and he is just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans three twenty-seven and 28 says, Can we boast, then, that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law, any law, any rule. It's all God's work. Do we understand that our sin cost us more than we could possibly ever pay back? And the gift of God to completely wipe it all out and to place our sins on Jesus is more than we could ever really comprehend or understand. His grace is truly amazing. Romans 5, again, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Romans 5, 7, 11 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight, by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We are God's friends. We've been saved. We've been transformed. We've been given a new life. Have we embraced that new life that Christ has given to us? Warren Wiersbe says, Having contemplated God's great plan of salvation for both Jews and the Gentiles, all Paul could do was sing a hymn of praise. As someone has remarked, theology now becomes a doxology. Romans 11:33 through 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are all of his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul was besides himself taking everything in, everything that Christ has done for him, for us. He was overwhelmed, and all he could do was just sing and praise God. God is amazing, 
And ladies, do we understand that? Do we really understand that you and I are able to have a relationship with a living Savior? A living Savior. He loves us so much that he went to great lengths to have that relationship with us. How are we treating that relationship? What have you done this past week to encourage or to grow your relationship with the Lord? So many times we just become so complacent that we can just sit back and think, oh, well, this is just life without any thought whatsoever to the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis, to our shame, because he has done everything for us to have a living, thriving relationship with him. We have a love that comes down to us from the very heart of God, God's eternal love coming to us through Jesus Christ. And as Roman 8 tells us, nothing can ever stop it. Nothing can exhaust it. Nothing can intercept it. God's love will never, ever let us go, ever. So after giving 11 chapters of doctrine, the Apostle Paul now gives us as believers the practical exhortation on how we are to live out our Christian life, how our being born again, one who has been so freely Um, been blessed with grace and mercy, how that should affect our behavior as we walk on this journey with our Savior. Paul basically says, in light of everything that Christ has done for you, here is how you should live. So Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm reading out of the Phillips translation. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meet all, meets all his demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. And isn't that what we want? Don't we want to become mature Christians, just God lovers, enjoying the life that Christ wants us to enjoy, to experience all the spiritual blessings that are already ours as we walk out um, our journey on this life? Paul believes that we haven't really learned the word of God until we are living out the word of God. Paul says, I urge you, or I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, Because everything that God has done for you, you respond to the mercies of God. God's mercy frees us from the law. It empowers us to grow up in Christ by the gift of the Holy Spirit. God chose us. He called us. He saved us. And one day, he's taken us home to heaven. We need to remember how merciful that he has been toward us. Because that would cause us to grow a heart of gratitude. We have been justified from the guilt. This is Romans Okay? We've been justified from the guilt and penalty of sin. We've been adopted in Jesus Christ, and now we identify with him. We have been placed under his grace, not by law. We have been given the Holy Spirit to live within us, to seal us until that day of redemption. He has promised to help us in all affliction. We have assurance of standing in God's election. We have confidence of a coming glory. We have confidence of never being separated from the love of God. Confidence in God's continued faithfulness 
to us and toward us. He is going to be faithful to complete the work that he has started in each and every one of us. And those are just a few of the mercies, amen, that God has given to us. But again, sometimes we can just live life like nothing's new. Nothing's happening. It's just the same old thing. It's like, no, you are a child. I am a child of God. And that should mean something for us as we walk out our journey. So in light of this mercy, past, present, and future, Paul begs us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And um, I don't know who this man is, but I like what he said. He said, we must believe that these divine mercies have persuasive powers over our wills. And I think we do need to believe that. We need to understand and and realize what God is saying so we can do what he wants us to do. Um, Paul challenges us to present our bodies. We present our bodies, which means he wants all of us. Okay, every bit of us. Not just our work. Not just what we can do for him. Not how well we can clean the toilet at church or decorate a stage or sing on a worship team. Those are great things. But he wants our hearts, he wants our minds, and he wants all of us to to be surrendered into his service. He wants a pure heart, a good heart that has been redeemed by him. So Paul challenges us, give your body as a living sacrifice. Again, to quote Warren Wiersbe, he says, before we trusted Christ, we used our bodies for sinful pleasures and sinful purposes. But now that we belong to him, we want to use our body only for his glory. The Christian's body is God's temple because the spirit of God dwells within him. It is our privilege to glorify Christ in our body and to magnify Christ in our body. Just as Jesus had to take upon himself a body in order to accomplish God's will on earth, we yield our bodies to Christ that he might continue God's work through us. Paul states that when we present our body as a living sacrifice, we have fulfilled our reasonable service or our service of worship or our rational service. It just makes sense when we offer ourselves to be used by God. So what Paul is saying, if you consider everything that Christ has done for you, you being a sinful being, the only reasonable response to give to him is to offer him all of your life. After all of this, that is the only logical response. Why would a freed person continue to live and serve their old master? Presenting your body to serve the interest of your new master, on the other hand, makes complete sense. And doesn't it? Why would we continue to want to be a tool in Satan's hand? We've been freed from him. Sin no longer dominates our life. So now we offer our life to the king of kings. After we offer our living living sacrifice, he will use us to affect others because there's something going on in our lives that is exciting and amazing, and people will notice that there's something different. We're we're set apart from the ways of the world. And maybe the world, they're not going to come and slap you on the back and say, wow, what a good person you are. But they'll notice you. They'll see that there's something different in you. They're going to see that you have a hope and you have a peace that prayerfully they're going to want too as they look at you. As we choose to present our bodies as living sacrifices on a daily basis, we need to learn to die to our flesh. What does that mean for you and me? And I think it's different. We all have our own little fleshy areas that we like to either keep hidden or hang on to. God wants you to give those up. We need to learn to die to our flesh on a daily basis. 
It can be a little challenging for us to live as a living sacrifice. But I like the fact that Paul says that we are to be a living sacrifice. You remember the Old Testament. We had to offer, uh, not we, I wasn't around then, (laughs) nor were you, Um, but uh, an unblemished lamb, right? Free from spot. And I love the fact that as they're dead and the beautiful aroma goes up before the Lord, as we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, God is killing off all that sin in our lives as we surrender our life to him. And then we become that beautiful aroma to him. I just like that picture that I got in my head. It shows that to me, as I choose to offer myself into God's service, I am making the conscious effort. I am alive in my offering of myself to him. I'm not this dead person just going through the motions trying to be pretend or hypocritical or phony in my works to the Lord. I want it to be real. So I like that Paul says, offer yourself a living sacrifice. And what does life look like? I mean, we many of us are tired and we're all kind of like this, but life is vibrant and active and, and exciting. Shouldn't our service to God be like that as well? Shouldn't be just something boring and routine and let's go to church or let's do this it's like no you're saved you've been freed from hell get excited about that and let it be contagious so we're all excited about it you know don't you know never mind god we no no i'm not going there i'm asking the holy spirit to watch my mouth so Anyway, as my life is laid on the altar as a living sacrifice, I want it to be a vibrant life that I am offering to the Lord, a a life that he sees as one who has really been transformed, a life that is filled with love for him for what he has done for me, the gratitude I'm able to show to him by showing him how grateful I am to really be alive. I used to think I was alive, before I came to Christ. But now I know I am alive. And the life that I now live, it's amazing. Is it great and wonderful all the time? No. Does it hurt? Absolutely. Is there pain and sorrow? Yes. But I have a hope and a purpose and a reason for living because Christ lives within me. And that's the same for you. I know Denise and I were talking. We had horrific weeks. And I know many of you in this room did too. But you know what? We're here. And we're still God lovers. And the Holy Spirit is still working in our lives despite the pain or the sorrow or whatever's going on. See, we have a hope, a living hope because of Jesus Christ. So it's good to be alive in him, is it not? Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Good. Okay. I want to be with you people that scream loud. (laughs) So... um, This is something that we could never do on our own. So Paul is saying, as you present yourself to God, quit conforming to the world. Just stop it. The first act has to be that conscious effort to say, okay, Lord, I'm yours. I'm going to place myself on the altar. And in order to stay in that realm, I need to make sure that I am no longer conforming to the ways of the world. And that's really difficult today. Because the world is screaming at us, is it not? I mean, we can, as Christians, we hardly have a voice anymore in this world. I don't know how that happened. I think we were too silent for too long, but that's a whole other teaching. But 
God within us, he shows us and teaches us how to stay away from the things that can mess us up and how we can continue to be with him so we can grow into the person that he wants us to be. So one of the first questions I want you to ask yourself is, how can you present your body as a reasonable, rational, living sacrifice before the Lord on a daily basis? What does that look like for you? What parts of your body are most prone to disobey? Is it your eyes, what you see, your lips, how you speak, your feet, your hands? What areas of your life is God asking you to lay on the altar and sacrifice to him, trusting him that he will fulfill you when you give those things up to him? See, he knows those things aren't good for you. And why we think they are, it's beyond me. But we do. If I could just hold on for a little while. God says, no, I want you to lay it here. Just leave it here. Whatever he brought to your mind right now, I pray that you can make that conscious effort that you will leave it at the altar of the Lord and let him do what he wants to do with your life. So Paul told us what we are to present to the Lord, our bodies as living sacrifices. And then now he's telling us how to do it. He says, quit conforming to the patterns of the world and renew your minds. There was a silly illustration I read that I'm going to share with you because I think it fits. It says a guy um, at a party, he turns to his friend and he asks for a cigarette. And he, the friend says, I thought you made a resolution to quit smoking. He goes, I did. I'm in the process of quitting right now. Oh, okay. Right now, I'm only in the middle of phase one. Phase one, asked his friend. Yeah, laughs the first guy. I quit buying my own cigarettes. <laughs> While quitting smoking can really be a process, phase one for a smoker on a path to a healthier, happier uh, life is to quit buying cigarettes. Spiritual health is also a process. Phase one for a Christian on the path to a spiritually healthier, happier, and obedient life is to stop buying what the world is selling. It is a pack of lies, and they are toxic, and it's so habit-forming. And that is so true. So as Paul says, quit conforming. No longer conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then when that happens, you're going to be able to test, to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The term conformed literally means to be molded or stamped according to a pattern. So I'd like another question for you to ask yourself. Whose stamp is on you? You know, do we have little stamps of Jesus, you know, here and there, but then we have big stamps of the world on other places? Whose stamp is on you? Who are you representing as you're living your life in this world? Again, as the Phillips translation reads, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold because it's trying its best to do that. Being conformed to this world means that we have the same type of thinking as our culture. We're not thinking the way that God thinks. The temptation and the lure and the seduction, seductive power of the world's influence can be overwhelming if we aren't choosing to live life the way God tells us to. We have been changed. In Romans chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, the Living Bible says this. That's why those who are still under the control of their own sinful selves, bent on following their old evil desires, can never please God. But you aren't like that. You are controlled 
by your new nature if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ living in him, he is not a Christian at all. We have the Spirit of God living within us. And what are we doing with the Holy Spirit? How are we treating the Holy Spirit? I lost a note page. Dang. Oh, well. Okay. Um, As Paul says, to not conform to the world, the popular culture and the manner of thinking, it is rebellion against God. We need to get a biblical worldview. That means that the Bible, God's word, has to lead and guide our lives and our thinking. The world's philosophy is very simple. If you want something, do whatever you can to get it. People are important only for what they can do for you. If they can't do anything for you, don't waste your time with them. Public opinion is what defines truth. Popularity is more important than being holy. Faith and everyday living are unrelated. Live for the moment and don't concern yourself with consequences. You are the center of your own universe. Don't let anyone push you around. You have a voice. Our world also screams tolerance. I hate that word. About tolerance with religions. All religions are the same. All gods are the same. Accept and affirm same-sex marriage. Truth is not absolute. What's good for you isn't good for me. You must not be shaped by these influences. And you know what? If we are not asking the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, we don't realize what we're being sucked into with the things of the world. We don't realize that I had a friend who um, was out of the workforce for a very long time, a very strong Christian before she went to work. Um, Not that, anyway... She was a strong Christian before she went to work. And then one day we had this casual conversation, and she says, you know what? I don't really think there's anything wrong with homosexuality. And I was like, really? Are you crazy? No. I said, really? Yeah, because I know this man, and he is the best guy in the office. He is a neat man. I don't see how God would send him to hell. I was like, okay, when did you start thinking like that? What has happened for you to protect your mind for the things of the world and the things of God. When did you start to change? See, what happens is we get on these little slippery slopes. In the beginning, yeah, I, I completely agree with whatever, what any, whatever God says. But then I get involved in life, and I hear my friends, and I, I get the influence from this side, and I get the influence from this side, and the TV is shouting all these things. So really, what's so wrong with a little bit of this or a little bit of that? See, what happens when we're on that slippery slope and we start to compromise just a little bit, you never know when you're going to end up. I praise God that my friend has renewed her love for the Lord, and she has asked for forgiveness for ever even thinking that. Because she had to get back to the right way of thinking. Again, the biblical worldview. There are many wonderful people, many wonderful people, who I love but I know they're going to hell because they aren't walking with their Lord and Savior, with a, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They haven't bent their knee. And that is the only way to heaven. I don't care how good we are. That, that doesn't get us there. It's the blood of Christ and only the blood of Christ, us believing and accepting his blood for our sins. So we can't be shaped by the world's views. I think a question, again, that we need to ask ourselves is, 
Who are you listening to? What influence in your life is causing you to maybe slip a little? Who is it that you watch? Who is it that maybe shapes your mind? Is it really truly God's word and the Holy Spirit? Or is there somebody else or something else that maybe is getting in the way right now? Again, can we offer that to the Lord as a living sacrifice? Even though Paul is writing to the church, these verses are speaking directly to us as individuals because we do influence one another. We affect one another. And as a body of believers, we need to be encouraging one another to grow closer in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we understand who we are in Jesus Christ? So he says to renew our minds. And again, to quote Warren Wiersbe, said, you give him your mind. The world wants to control your mind, but it's your God who wants to transform your mind. The word transform, excuse me, the word transform is the same as transfigure or the transfiguration in Matthew. It has come into the English language as the word metamorphosis. It describes a change that happens from within. The world wants to change your mind, so it exerts pressure from without. But the Holy Spirit, he changes your mind by releasing power from within. If the world controls your thinking, you are a conformer. If God controls your thinking, you're a transformer. God transforms our minds and makes us spiritually minded through his word. As you spend time meditating and pondering his word, memorizing it, making it part of your inner man, God will gradually make your mind become more spiritual. And I love it when I see we are to be transformed. We're transformers, like Warren Wiersbe says. We're not conformers, we're transformers. And you know, I have grandkids, and they love the transformer guys, how they're little cars or whatever, and they these big old robots, and they're huge. How cool would that be? You know, we're no longer these little robots, but now we're these big, huge, on-fire Christians, transformed for the word of God, by the word of God, for his kingdom to be used by him. So we are transformers, and I I like that. So this is not an on-again, off-again transformation. This is something that needs to continue on and on again. So how do we renew our mind? And I've already said it a couple of times. We need to learn to get a biblical worldview. We can't think one way in church and another way when we're outside of church. We can't think one way on election day and someplace else or somewhere else, some how, whatever it is, at church. It has to all be the same. If you say you believe the word of God, then believe the word of God. And that transforms how you think. So that's what you need to do. Get your mind transformed, renewed with a biblical worldview. Read God's word, study God's word, absorb God's word, eat it up, interact with God's word. What is he telling you? What is he showing you? What does he want you to do today as you're um, sitting at his feet? Saturate yourself with things that are good and pure and holy, not the trash that the world keeps throwing our way. And again, what are we doing at home? What are we doing with our children? What are we showing them what it looks like to be a Christian? You know, is it okay to live like a heathen and expect our children to be godly teenagers? It's not. My oldest daughter went through a a divorce a couple of years ago. 
And my husband and I, we took a trip to Israel. And my oldest grandson is 23 now. 23, 22, and 19, my three oldest grandkids. And we took a trip to Israel, and he is completely turned off for anything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as he told his grandfather and I, you know what? I saw hypocrisy firsthand, and I don't want anything to do with God. He said, Grammy and Granddad, you're the only real Christians that I know. You aren't normal. <laughs> and that, that really grieved me. It really did. There's something different about you guys, that the rest of the Christians aren't like that. And I, I've been pray- we've all been praying for him, and I, there's little glimmers of hope. I sent him a um, devotion the other day that really told him that he was going to hell if he didn't believe in Christ. And he texts usually he won't text me back, and he goes, now that was very interesting. (laughs) Yes, it was. But our kids are watching us. Your kids, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your dear friends, they're looking at you if you profess to love Jesus Christ on what it means to be a believer. We've all heard the stories. We hear all the junk that, that so-called Christians do when they fall or they steal from their churches or they commit adultery, you know, teaching, and on one hand, doing whatever behind. That's not supposed to be us. If we love Jesus, we are going to love him and serve him with everything that's within us. See, he died so we don't have to be a hypocrite. He died so we can have real life and not have to pretend that when my grandson says that he sees Christ in me, it's real. It's not just to get him on Jesus' side. It's not what we're supposed to be about. See, either we love Jesus, we're so thankful for what he's done for us, or we're really not. Now see, he'll grow us into that if we're willing to really submit to him to learn of him, to be grateful in our hearts and our minds for what he has done for us, do we realize really what the penalty of hell is? See, I didn't for the longest time. I, for those of you, I shared my testimony before, but all I wanted to do was not go to hell. That was it. Just get me to heaven and I'll follow you. But don't ask me to change my life. And I was serious with that. I missed out on so much. Because who I am today in Christ, overwhelmingly the best life ever. And I wouldn't have known that had I not submitted to him and let him do what he wants in my life. Living a life of hypocrisy doesn't do anybody good, especially ourselves. We need to quit pretending and be real if we love Christ so others can see Christ in you. So, saturating ourselves with the word of God, allowing God's word to transform our lives. Ponder the scriptures and watch how he buries those truths into your heart. And before you know it, it's going to start transforming your life. We present our body, we renew our mind so we can prove what God's will is, the good, acceptable, and perfect will. Paul doesn't say find God's will or discover God's will. He said you can prove what God's perfect will is. And this is so huge for us, ladies. Don't we wonder, oh, I wonder what God's will is for my life. Oh, what am I supposed to do? If God would only show me. He's showing us. He's telling us. 
right here in Romans chapter 12. He says, you can know God's will as you present yourself to God, lay all of you on the altar, see yourself dead to the ways of the world, allow the Holy Spirit to transform your mind. And then when you do, you will find God's perfect will for your life. As we are transformed on the inside, the evidence is shown on the outside, how we are walking in our walk with the Lord. We cannot expect casual Christians who are constantly living disobedient, fleshly lives to be able to discern what God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for their lives are. So we need to remind people of the principle that God reveals his will to those who are walking according to his plan and according to his purposes. God's will leads us in natural ways as we follow him. And I, I think sometimes we want these heebie-jeebie moments. You know, or those goosebumps moments. God, I'm a, I want to hear you. You know, okay, this is God's will. That's not how it happens. See, as you're walking with him and you're sacrificing yourself to him and you're, you're trying to deal with your sin and leave that at the altar and, and you want to please him, before you know it, you are walking in his will because you're listening to his voice. And then when he's asking you to do something, this just thought comes into your mind and then you do what you believe he's telling you to do and nothing happens. But then when you look back and you realize, oh my goodness, that was God's voice. That's what I did. And look, I was in the will of God. This is amazing. And you have more and more moments like that. So you become tender to the voice of God whispering in your ear. It's amazing, ladies, when you surrender your life to your Lord and Savior. It's amazing. We can be blown away as we begin to obey his will. It's exciting being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's exciting to see what he's going to do and and where we're going to go. And again, not to minimize pain or suffering and all of that, because that's real too. But see, with all of that, we still have Christ. We still have the hope of glory. The world doesn't know anything about that. Their eyes are still blinded. So it's our job, as we offer ourselves a living sacrifice, to show them what it means to be a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we ready? Are we really ready to be all in? Because if you are ready to be all in, God is going to take you at your word and watch what he does as he transforms your lives. In closing, I want to share what Denise sent to me. Not the whole thing. I'm going to, I'm going to be doing it throughout. But um, from the message, this is Romans 12, 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And don't we want to be mature? We don't want to be 80-year-old babies in the Lord. We want to be mature. We want to shine for Christ 
so others can look at us and want what we have. Not so they're envious and jealous, but we can share the good news with them. And they can experience the life that we have because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for this marvelous chapter in Romans. We pray, God, that this word, your word, will become so real for us, Lord, that it's not going to be any issue at all for us to offer ourselves a living sacrifice to you, getting rid of our sin, Lord, renewing our minds, not being conformed to this world, because we know the God that we love and serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're just going to take a few short minutes to respond to this message because it is challenging, and it's so important that we do that, that we respond. And girls, I actually have the, someone in the sound room just dim the lights some. We're going to just sing a worship song, but I feel like, um, well, first off, maybe there's some in this room that have never even given your life to Christ, um, never yielded or surrendered to him ever, and um, tonight your heart's just so stirred by the message in Romans of the mercies of God and the love of God. Um, we want to encourage you tonight, just in the quietness of your own heart, it's a, it's a prayer of faith that you believe in Jesus, that he's the Savior, that he came, that he did die on that cross and rise again to give us life and to cleanse us of our sin. And so I just want to say that from the get-go, that if that's you, if there's someone here and you're like, oh, I, 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 want to, I want this. I want to be this on-fire Christian that's saved and transformed. Um, you know, tonight could be your night, April 20th, 2018. And so I want to encourage you in that. For the rest of us that know the Lord, um, I just, as I was just praying about, um, you know, the response time, I, I was so struck by this Paul saying, I beseech you, like he's begging for us to respond by presenting ourselves. And I don't know, to me, when you, I'm going to present myself, it's like it, there's some sort of action to it, right? Some, something. Um, and so tonight, and for you, whatever, however the Lord leads you, but if you're at a place where you're like convicted and you're like, I just want to re get get aligned with the Lord as in, to, to live my life for him, to yield, to surrender. I want to climb on that altar and be a sacrifice. We want to just take um, a few minutes to worship and allow you to do that. So maybe for some of you, that would be you just need to get on your knees before the Lord. If it's tight where you are, go find a corner and do that. Maybe some of you, I need to take steps of action and you want to just come forward for some of you, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, there's no right or wrong way. But if that's you and you're, you just want to start the weekend off responding and saying, yes, Lord, I want to present myself before you as a living sacrifice. I want to be pleasing. We want to give you a moment to do that. So we're going to go ahead and worship and allow you time to do that. And, um, and if there's any of you here, you're just sort of afraid because... To really completely surrender and yield, 
I mean, it's a sacrifice, isn't it? And it can be costly. And sometimes I think we hold back because we're, we're afraid, well, what will that look like? How, how will that change my life, my comfort, my, you know? And again, it gets back to what Jeanette's saying. It starts with the love of God. Perfect love casts out fear. And the more you understand the love of your Abba Father, the more you will be so willing to yield. So yield to his spirit.